And I want to thank y'all for worshiping King Jesus with us. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to the throne of grace. And thank you, church family, for joining us. Um, we had a wonderful uh, Sunday, last Sunday, and um, my heart is still so full from um, our first communion and the, uh, the signing of the covenant. And as we look forward and as we move forward as a church, over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the I am statements of Jesus. The I am statements of Jesus leading all the way up until Easter, uh, where we're going to talk about on Easter Sunday, I am the resurrection and the life. And so over the next several weeks, um, I just invite you to um, look at these statements with us to get a clear understanding, a clearer grasp of who Jesus is. Who does Jesus say that he is, right? When he says, I am, he's saying something about himself. What is Jesus saying about himself? That's what we want to look at um, moving forward as a church. And as we move forward towards Easter, I just want you guys to be praying. I want you to be praying about um, our church. I want you to be praying about the lost people and our friends, our, our friends, our family, our acquaintances, our communities, the people we meet on the street. Um, God has put us here for a reason. Uh, we have the hope of Jesus Christ, we have the truth about who Jesus is that can forgive sin, that can save lives, that can bring into the eternal family of God, and we need to be earnest and we need to be serious about seeing people come to know our great Savior. And we're going to start this morning by looking at who Jesus is from John chapter 6 as he talks about, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Let me pray for us and we'll get started this morning. King Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for all the brothers and sisters that you've brought here today. Lord, this is, we're not here by accident. As I always say, your sovereign hand has guided us here to this moment because you have something you want to say to us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would not, we would not harden our hearts, Lord, as, as those in the, the days of Jesus, those that harden their hearts against Jesus, and um, uh, they, they just refuse to listen they didn't have pliable hearts. They had hearts of stone, Lord. And I just pray that by your Spirit, Lord, um, it's, by, it's by the Spirit. The, the, uh, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. That's what Jesus said. It's your Spirit, Lord Jesus, that gives life. And so by your Spirit, Lord, I just pray that every single heart and mind in this room this morning, God, that we would be attentive to you. That we would look to you in faith. That we would look to you in trust. That we would look to you in surrender that we would look to you for the great satisfaction and joy of our lives, Lord. Help us understand today what it means that you are the bread of life. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, I do invite you to turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And when we talk about Jesus as the bread of life, I think what we need to understand is that there is a fundamental aspect of human nature that we, all need, that we all need to understand. That is that we as human beings, right, we were made to crave. We were made to crave. So without exception, you, me, Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't matter. We're all seeking something, right? You're seeking something with your life. You want your life to matter, right? You want, you want your life to have meaning and purpose. Uh, you, want, you want a tribe. You want a people, you want a family, you want a, you want a place and a people where you can belong and where you can call home. You want to love 
and you want to be loved. We all have these innate cravings because we were made for that. We were made for relationship. We were made for God. But there's one unavoidable issue that we all have to understand about our sin, to understand what's going on with the world. And that is that, be, is that we were made to crave, but because of sin, our cravings have become misdirected. Because of sin, our cravings have become misdirected. So let's just have a, a, a sober moment of honesty, all right? You know, people don't, we don't like to do this because it makes us uncomfortable, but the truth is, is every now and then we need to have a sober moment of honesty about ourselves. And that is that we want, because of sin, we want things that we shouldn't want. That's what sin does. It misdirects our cravings. We want things that we shouldn't want. Uh, anytime anybody, including we ourselves, do something that we know we shouldn't do, why do we do it? Because we want it to. Because we wanted to. Because in that moment, right, we felt like even if we knew we shouldn't do it or shouldn't say it or shouldn't act like that or shouldn't think like that or shouldn't have that attitude, we do it because we want to. Because it's satisfying some kind of craving in our hearts and our minds that has become misdirected by our sin. And so we do things that we don't want to do because our desires are deceitful or misdirected. We seek, oftentimes we seek good things, but we seek them in the wrong places or in the wrong ways. Sometimes we seek approval. You know, some people, uh, this is a genuine struggle for many people. They, they crave approval, approval of people. Maybe it's approval from their parents, and they never got it, and they spend the rest of their life trying to figure out how to feel approved. Some people seek approval from their kids from their boss, from their peers, from their co-workers. And, and of course, it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing to want to be approved, but, but where's the difference, right? We're seeking the right thing, but in the wrong places. Because if you're approved by everybody in the entire world, but not found approved by God, then we've wasted it, right? And if you have the approval of God, then you actually have the power to live a full life of faith and courage and obedience in the world, even if not a single other person in the world approves of you. And so we seek, we can seek the right things in the wrong places, and that's because of sin. We seek love. We want to be loved. We seek it. We crave it. We even demand it from others in unhealthy ways and in unhealthy relationships because we were made to crave. But because of our sin, our, we have fallen, misdirected human cravings. And Jesus, Jesus comes into the world, and he comes into our lives with just a simple statement. I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. I am what you're seeking. And I believe if we grasp that, it'll change us. It'll free us from the grip of the world. It'll free us from the grip of human approval. It'll free us from the grip of societal pressure. It'll free us to live for Jesus no matter what it looks like. And that's a wonderful place to be. So we're going to talk about how Jesus is the bread of life this morning. From John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. If you're able and willing, let me invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. It says, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea 
saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. The Word of God. You may be seated. So we're going to look at this passage under two headings this morning. Number one is what are we seeking? What are we seeking? And then number two is how do we get what we're seeking? What are we seeking? And then how do we get what we are seeking? So what's happening here? What's happening here in this passage, right? It's right after Jesus fed the 5,000, all right? One of Jesus' great miracles on the side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. If you went to visit Israel today, they would, the tour guide would take you to the place where they believe that this happened. And, um, you know, I've been there. It's, it's, it's pretty remarkable to, to see there and see the Sea of Galilee and to think that Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish right there in that very place. Uh, and in that place, Jesus borrowed of five loaves and two fish from a boy, and he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Okay, so this is a pretty astounding feat no matter how you slice it, all right? And at this time, uh, Jesus' fame is spreading, right? So Jesus is a miracle worker. He's, a, he's an itinerant preacher. He's traveling around Israel, and he's working these miracles. And so what happens is, you know, eventually over time, word gets out, right? If somebody was traveling around Dodge County doing all these crazy things, eventually you would hear about it, and eventually you would want to show up and say, what's, see for yourself what's going on, right? And so Jesus' fame is spreading, and people's anticipation, in their minds at least, of what God is up to is reaching a fever pitch, all right? And so for people who live day to day, for people who lived hand to mouth, okay, uh, and, and they're a massive crowd, all right, and they're in this desolate place, which means it's just, it's out in the middle of nowhere, right? There's no, there's no large town, there's no village, okay? It's just out in the middle of nowhere, all right? And you've got this massive crowd of people, and they're fed an all-you-can-eat seafood buffet with rolls, all right? And, um, and what happens is they get stirred up into a frenzy, all right? They're getting stirred up into a frenzy. All right, look at this miracle. Look at, look at Jesus. Look, look what he's done. You know, God is at work. You know, the king is here. All right, and, uh, and the text says there 
that they tried to, they tried to rise up and make Jesus king then and there. All right? They tried to rise up and make Jesus king then and there. And, you know, a commentator mentioned this, and I had never thought about it before, but he says that, like, why would, why would he say, why would he name the men specifically, 5,000 men and not the women and children? Well, it, it could be because the fact that there were 5,000 men there all following Jesus meant that Jesus had a small army of people, 5,000 men. Imagine what a man with 5,000 followers, you know, crazy with messianic zeal could do if they wanted to run into Jerusalem and make Jesus king, right? They could do that if they wanted to, all right? And, but Jesus there, he, 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 he refuses. In fact, we learn about Jesus' kingdom later in the book of John, in John chapter 18, when Jesus has been arrested and is brought before Pilate. And this is what Jesus has to say to Pilate about his kingdom. He said, my kingdom, John 18, 36, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So what is happening here is that Jesus is a king. They want to make Jesus king, so what's, what's the problem? The problem is that their understanding of what Jesus' kingdom means is wrong. It's wrong. Jesus' kingdom is not first a political one, it's a spiritual one. Jesus' plan to build his kingdom in this world is not through the use of force, but through the proclamation of the truth, right? That's what he told, that's what he told Pilate, right? For, for this purpose, I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Jesus' kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. It's not a kingdom that comes through the use of force, but through the proclamation of the truth. Jesus is the king who comes first to tell people the truth about God, and wherever people believe in and submit to the truth of God, they become a citizen of Christ's kingdom. And that kingdom is, is you, can't, you can't see Christ's kingdom on a map, all right? If you go to school and they show you, and you take a geography class, they're not going to show you the boundaries of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, okay? Christ's kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom to whom its citizens are, you know, aren't, aren't, you know, don't have a social security number. Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And they, they, they serve Jesus, they serve Jesus as their king in faith, knowing that one day, the, the, one day Jesus will return and he will set up his visible manifest kingdom. But until that day comes, we have a job to do, that is to proclaim the truth. And so the, this is what, this is what, Jesus is saying, right? And, and he, he also told Pilate there, he said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. How do you know you're of the truth? How do you know that you are a citizen of Jesus's kingdom? You listen to him. That's how you know, right? You listen to Jesus, all right? He's the king and you listen to the king, all right? And so maybe and so maybe, and I pray that this would happen this morning. Maybe you're in this room this morning. Maybe you're watching online or we're watching at some later time. And you're not sure about this Jesus guy. You're not sure what to think about him. He's an interesting dude from history for sure. But, you know, I don't know if he's much more than that. But I just want you to take, I just want you to investigate what Jesus said about 
himself. And that is that he came as God's, as God's approved son, God's, God's sealed servant, all right, to bring in a kingdom, but it's a different kingdom than most people wanted. You know, we want our kingdom now. We want our problem solved now. We want our bellies filled now. But Jesus said, that's not my kind of kingdom. My kind of kingdom is one of truth. It's one where people come and when they hear my voice, they know that I'm from God and they know that I'm of the truth and my truth changes them so that they actually live like me, act like me, and so that then they can build my kingdom on this earth. And I pray that God would reveal that to you this morning. So what happens after this? Jesus dismisses the crowds and he sends his disciples away on a boat, right? And then he, he walks on water, all right? And he meets them on the boat or whatever. And they, and they end up on the other side. Now, when the crowd begins to figure out that Jesus has gone, right? Because the disciples left, all right? But they saw that Jesus didn't get in the boat with them. And so then when they figure out that Jesus is gone too, and they find Jesus on the other side with his disciples, they're like, you know, how'd you get over here? You know, and Jesus didn't say, well, I walked, <laughs> you know. I just walked right across the lake. I mean, he could have said that, but he didn't, all right? But they're seeking him, all right? So now what's going on here? If a, you, we would think that a great crowd following Jesus around, you would think Jesus would be happy by that, right? You know, if you're, if you're a preacher, if you're a preacher and, and you're, such a, you're such a powerful preacher that everywhere you go, there's crowds that want to follow, you would think, hey, that's a pretty good deal. I must be doing a good job, all right? But here's the problem is that when the crowd shows up on the other side of the lake with Jesus, Jesus isn't pleased. He's not pleased. He's not pleased that the crowd is seeking him at this point because Jesus can see past the external bit about a crowd's following him around and he can see into their hearts. And when Jesus looks into their hearts, what does he see? He sees not people that believe in him. He sees not people that trust in him. He sees a bunch of people that are following him because they want to see a miracle. Because he fed them. You see, they're seeking Jesus not with their hearts, but with their stomachs. And I think when we read this text, there's no doubt in my mind that the Apostle John wants us to read this text and to take an honest look at our own lives, at our own hearts. What, when we come to Jesus, when we come to church, for example, why are we here? What are we seeking? What are we seeking? All right? Some honest self-reflection. Some honest self What are we seeking from Jesus? Why are, we, why are we gathered here? Are we seeking Jesus for Jesus' sake or for something else's sake? Are we, are we here to see other people or for other people to see us, or are we here to see Jesus? You know, one way to tell what people are seeking is you, is you just take things away. What if we showed up one morning and uh, there was no electricity? No lights, no air conditioner. Would you still come to church? What if, what if we gathered here and there was just a handful of people here? And that was it. Would we still stay and worship Jesus or would we just call it a day and go home? What if your best friend left church? Would you still come to church? Why are we here? What are we doing? Are we here for Jesus? Are we seeking Jesus for Jesus' sake? Or are we like this crowd that's just seeking Jesus for their sake? 
Jesus does, and he does meet all kinds of needs, and, all, and he does all kinds of temporal good for people, and we should do that as the church. In fact, Jesus is the source of all good all the time. But Jesus fed the 5,000. Hear me now. He, Jesus fed the 5,000, but he did it not just so that they could have a full stomach. He, did, he fed them bread of earth so that they might see that he's the bread from heaven. That's why he fed them the bread of earth. And so the question that the Spirit wants to put to our hearts today is, what are we seeking? All right? What are we seeking? If Jesus never gave you a single thing for the rest of your life, would you still worship him? If, if you woke up one morning and you had, a jet, you had a day as bad as Job had that one day, where he literally lost all his children and everything he possessed in a few hours, would you fall on your face before a holy God and worship? Or would you throw in the towel? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. What are we seeking when we seek Jesus? Jesus is saying, look, I'm the bread of life. I'm what you're really seeking. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So when we seek Jesus with all our hearts, we'll find what we're looking for. So what are we seeking? We're seeking Jesus because he's the bread of life. Number two, how do we get what we're seeking? How do we get what we're seeking? Look, at, look again in verse 27 there, John 6. He says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And so they said to him, well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave them bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the first question we should ask ourselves is, what are we seeking? And the answer that should be inscribed upon our hearts is Jesus. Jesus is the, in Jesus is every blessing in the heavenly places. In Jesus is forgiveness. In Jesus is salvation. In Jesus is eternal life. In Jesus is an eternal kingdom that lasts forever. When you have Jesus, you have it all. It's just that simple. When you have Jesus, you have it all. And the converse is true too, right? If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. And so, we discussed the, the human problem that we tend to look for the right thing in the wrong places. And Jesus is showing them what they should be seeking, and not just that, but how they should be seeking it. He said, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. All right? So they were seeking for what? They were seeking bread. What's the problem with bread? The problem with bread is that when you eat it, you're, you, it satisfies you for a little bit. That's the problem with bread. Right? You can eat all the bread you want today. Guess what? Tomorrow, you're going to be hungry again. That's the problem with bread. That's the problem with earthly satisfactions. It's, they're short-lived. And you know, we do that too. 
we, all the time, we seek things thinking that it's going to satisfy us and only to figure out later that it doesn't, right? If only I were married, I would be happy. You get married, and then you find out, wait a second, this is kind of hard. (laughs) If only I had children. Hey, no one... I'm, I'm, I might be the most pro-child person in this room. You, you get children, and guess what? Parenting is hard. If only I had more money. You get more money, and you find out you're not really any happier than you were before. The point is, is we seek, and we seek, and we seek, just looking, grabbing at anything, just to say, I just... I just, I just want to be happy. I just want to be full. I just want my life to mean something. I want my life to matter. I want to have peace. But you just seek and seek and seek. And at the end of the day, you're like a hamster that's running on a wheel. You're just, you're just spinning and spinning and exerting all this energy and all this effort. And then you step off the hamster wheel and you're in the exact same place that you started. Why? It's because you've been working for the food that perishes. You've been working for the, the thing that cannot satisfy. The real, that, that you've, been, you, you've been throwing on stuff on top of the problem. You haven't been dealing with the real problem. You've been working for the food that perishes. Apart from Jesus, all we find in this world are a few fleeting moments of pleasure punctuating a life of continually longing for more. And into that void, into that hole in our hearts, Jesus says this, do not work for the food that perishes. Don't do it. But work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on Him God the Father has set In other words, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, stop wasting your time on the things that cannot ultimately satisfy your soul. Right? You know, you remember Mary and Martha, right? Uh, Martha was just busy, busy, busy. Busy, busy, busy. And she was, and guess what? Guess what all her busyness got her? Really stressed out and angry at her sister. And what's Mary doing? She's just sitting there at Jesus' feet. Happy as can be. What's the difference? The difference is one was working for the food that perishes and one had found the food that endures to eternal life. One was exhausted and one was full. So there is something more. There's specifically, there is someone more who actually can permanently, once and for all, satisfy the deepest longings and cravings of your soul. Why? So that you can stop working. I mean, don't, don't you just get exhausted of trying to figure this life out? Don't you just get exhausted of trying to make things better on your own strength? When Jesus said this, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. 
You see, it says there that on Jesus, the Father has set his seal. Jesus and Jesus alone has God's stamp of approval, God's stamp of verification, God's stamp of authenticity. He's the one that can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart, and there is, none, there is no other. So the, the next question is, and perhaps the most question, important question is, what then must we do to get the food that doesn't perish? If we're going after the wrong things the wrong way, how do we go after the right things the right way? This is what Jesus said, verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. That you believe in him that he has sent. This is astounding, right? All you have to do to have a soul that is satisfied forever is faith. It's faith. And what is faith? Faith is the posture of heart that says, I can't, but Jesus can. It's the posture of heart that says, I can't, but Jesus can. It, you know, there, there's irony here, right? Because they're asking, what must I do? What, what work must I do to get to the food that, that doesn't perish? And Jesus says, well, you must believe. And it's, it's ironic, right? Because what is faith? Faith is actually not doing anything. In other words, he's saying, the food that you are the food that you crave the most, you actually can't do anything to get it. In fact, the only thing you have to do to get it is nothing. But believe. But believe. But you see, that's the problem with human nature is that the one thing, the one thing that we cannot seem to find within ourselves is nothingness. We all want to be something. We all want to think that in our relationship with God, we bring something to the table. The hardest thing, the hardest thing, the, the one thing that we can't find in ourselves is nothingness. Because what is faith? It's saying, I can't, but Jesus can. It's saying, I bring nothing to the table. It's saying, it's, it's humility of heart and soul. Right? We want to earn. We want to deserve. We want to work. And Jesus says, it, it takes you... It takes humility, it takes genuine humility of heart to say, there's nothing I can do to get what I really need. In fact, the only way that I can get it is if it's given to me 100% free of charge, a gift from God through the sacrifice of his son. That's what Jonathan Edwards says, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. That's a hard pill to swallow. Because we like to think that we're better than that. But we're not. And until we understand grace, until we understand that, we'll, no, we'll never understand grace. Right? We'll, never, we'll never grasp it. Right? As long as we think that we bring something to the table, God's grace isn't that amazing. If you love people who are basically lovable, you haven't really done anything that amazing. Anybody can do that. But if God looked at us in our mess and in our sin and our rebellion and saw how we were just utterly depraved through and through and brought nothing but pride and selfishness and vanity and arrogance to, to bring to the table, and Jesus looked at that hot mess of sin and you said, you know what? I'm going to love them anyway. That's amazing. That's amazing grace. So if we bring nothing to the table but our sin, then salvation really is something amazing. It's breathtaking. 
Because Jesus saw our mess and loved us anyways to the point of giving us his own son, the very bread of life, the satisfaction of our souls. But the heartbreaking thing about all this, about this whole exchange that Jesus has, is that even after this conversation, and he's trying to explain it, and it's, it's not connecting, okay? And they don't get it. And in verse 30, they say, What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Well, wh- well what's going on there, right? Well, he had, just, he had literally just given them a sign, right? He had literally just fed the 5,000, all right? And then he said, and then he said uh, you know, and then they're looking for him, not because they want to serve him, not because they want to follow him, but because he fed them, all right? And then he's like, well, you're working for the food that perishes. You need to work for the food that doesn't perish. And, and, and they're like, okay, well, what, do we need, what work do we need to do to work for that? And he just says, believe. And then they turn right, right around and say, well, what work do you do? What sign do you do that we may believe in you? And then they talk about the manna in the wilderness. Now, what is, what's the point? Well, the way I see it is this. They, they've come across, all right, they're really seeking bread. They're not seeking Jesus, all right? And uh, Jesus just told them, hey, don't seek bread. Seek True bread, seek bread from heaven, that'll last forever. And then, and then they just turn right around and, and they just say, okay, well, what do we got to do? Believe? Okay, we'll believe when you give us some more bread. Give us some manna. We want some manna. God gave them manna. You give us some manna, then we'll believe. Right? So he literally just said, don't seek bread. And then they turn around and say, we'll believe if you give us more bread. That's just like us, isn't it? This is depravity. This is the human heart. And Jesus is just like, you're still not getting it. And Jesus says, look, Moses wasn't the one who really gave them bread from heaven, by the way. Because who did? God did. Not Moses. And in the same way, Jesus said, God, God from heaven has given them the true bread from heaven. And that's what Jesus says there in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And this is, this is the truth that we need to take home in our hearts this morning. Verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, Jesus said, shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's the question for our hearts. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Is Jesus, an, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus the satisfaction of our soul? Am I willing to do whatever it takes not to get more money, not to make more connections, not to find a place in this world? Is, am I willing to do whatever it takes, the work of God, to get Jesus? Because he's what I want. Because he's enough. You see, it's just like that woman at the well, right? It's literally the exact same thing as the woman at the well, right? She had been looking for all these men to fill the void in her soul. And she's walking out there to the well in the middle of the day because she didn't want to be around anybody else. All right? And Jesus just meets her there, and he, he, you know, he basically tells her without telling her, look, you're thirsting to death, but you're, you're thirsting for something different than water. You don't, even know what you're, you don't even know what you're longing for. And Jesus says, it's me. It's me. As hard as we work 
for the bread of this world, church. It cannot satisfy. So what is Jesus inviting us to do? He's inviting us to work for the bread that lasts forever. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? But if you have Jesus, it doesn't matter if you have nothing else. You have all you ever need. You gain this world, guess what? You'll still be hungry again. But if you gain Jesus, you'll never hunger and you'll never thirst again. So the call this morning is the call of Christ to find our satisfaction 100% in Him. So that's the question Jesus wants to put to our hearts. Where, where is our satisfaction found? It's a question. God wants us to think about it this morning. Where is our satisfaction found? Is it in stuff? Is it in things? Is it in relationships? Or is it in Jesus? Because once it's in Jesus, you're free. You're free from this world. You're free to love him. You're free to pursue him. You're free to give yourself to others. Because you already have all that you need. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up um, this, uh, this morning. And as they do, I just want to extend this invitation to you. Maybe, you, maybe, you've, been, maybe you've been looking for all the right things in all the wrong places this morning. And maybe just the Spirit has spoken to your heart. And you see that. You see it with eyes of faith this morning. That everything, that everything that you've been trying ain't working. Maybe you're looking in the wrong place. And so Jesus extends this invitation to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And he will give you. There's nothing, there's no one like Jesus. And he invites you to come this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the bread that never perishes. Thank you for the deep, true, and eternal satisfaction of our soul. Lord, you're so good to us. And you have given us so much, even beyond all the spiritual blessings. You've given us life and health and homes and food and all these things that we don't deserve. But Lord, God, forgive us when we seek those things more than we seek you. So Lord Jesus, turn our hearts today. Turn our hearts to see where true satisfaction was found. That if we lost everything in this world tomorrow, Let us know in our hearts that you, Lord, are enough. Father, I pray that by your grace and by your spirit, Lord, maybe someone in this room this morning would see for the first time that you are enough, that they would know that in you is forgiveness of sins, in your life, death, and resurrection is eternal life, is satisfaction forever. God, may they look to you in faith this morning. May they turn from their sins and trust to you today. 
And Lord, for those of us who have been walking this journey of faith, and we're walking with you, Lord, but somewhere along the way, Lord, we forgot. Somewhere along the way, Lord, our eyes started looking towards the world instead of looking to you. God, we ask for your mercy and your forgiveness now. And we ask to work for you harder than we ever worked for this world, God. Let us work for you for the bread that never perishes. To believe with all that we are that you're better, that you're good, and that you're all that we need. Let it be, O oh Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.